Hi, and welcome to this week in sustainability on the sustainablecentury.net. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Well, a lot's happened this week, so let's get right at it. Well, when I started in social investment in Canada uh, back in 1990, there was about $40 million or so, maybe, in the sector that we now call Sustainable and Responsible Investment, or SRI. Uh, some call it, of course, Environment, Social, and Governance Investment, or ESG. Uh, and back then, there were the Mennonites. May the gods bless their souls. Uh, some crazies in the Quebec Desjardins financial system and a few nutty investment brokers uh, all doing SRI. But well, that was about it. Uh, now? Well, now there's about $20 trillion in sustainable and responsible investment worldwide somewhere near $2 trillion in Canada and uh, closer to $15 trillion in the United States. Uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, there's no denying it. It's a, it's a very big number. It's about 6% of all tradable assets in the world. Imagine that. Uh, in America, it's about 23% of the assets on U.S. stock exchanges. Uh, so you might think we should congratulate ourselves, and we should, a bit, but only with one hand. Why? Well, because the impact of this money, well, that's a different thing from simply piling up asset numbers. Uh, for despite Herculean efforts to get the SRI to this place, to this lofty place, this $20 trillion in assets, place of trillions, the impact of that money, of all these investments, is, I hate to say it, hardly noticeable. How can that be? Well, it's like my favorite hockey analyst, uh, Damian Cox, out of Toronto, likes to say. No matter how good you are or believe your team to be, it's only as good as the number of points you have in the standings. Uh, sure, we can say uh, Team SRI is a better team in the standings now than it used to be. Or we can say, well, maybe we just haven't had that much luck. Uh, and we should be better. We should have more points. But even before COVID-19, Team Sustainable was not too high up on the table or the league standings. Carbon levels were rising. They weren't falling. Biodiversity loss, well, that was rising not falling. Inequality, rising, not falling. On pretty much every variable we need to go one way or the other, we're going the opposite. Team sustainable is growing, going the wrong way. Uh, true, uh, team fossil fuels, who not long ago was at the top of the league, is falling and, and falling fairly fast. Now, this caused SRI, or ESG funds, uh, many of which had mostly or entirely divested from ExxonMobil and the likes, have done demonstrably better than their peer funds recently because ESG investors, well, again, had mostly divested and conventional investors had not from the nasty black stuff. Much of Team Fossil Fuels' fall had more to do with COVID-19 and the Putin-Saudi spat than divestment from the icky stuff. If you were to put numbers on it, I would put 70% COVID, 20% Putin, and 10% divestment. 
Indeed, we saw carbon and pollution rise in China minutes, literally minutes after they lifted COVID-19 stay-home rules. So it's hard to imagine that we will simply not regress, revert back to the long, slow, probably too slow, downward spiral of oil after the pandemic. Rather than the more radical decline uh, it experienced this past quarter. How much slower? Well, that remains to be seen. Remember, fossil fuel companies still have major resources at their disposal and are still betting on oil. Indeed, 95% of all future oil investment projects from major oil firms down to the crappy little uh, fracking companies spattered about the United States are all about extracting the nasty. Even though most oil majors say they're going to be carbon neutral by 2020. How do they plan to combat, combat carbon? Carbon capture. <laughs> it's hard to say that one without laughing. Carbon capture. You know those magical little boxes, not yet invented, by the way, that sit at the end of whatever pipe carbon is coming out of, sucking all that stuff out before it reaches the atmosphere. Or at least that is the theory. Cynics amongst us, and far be it for me to say I am not a cynic, because I certainly am, see this as just so much snake oil. Oh, they're saying, trust us, just trust us, trust us, and we can figure out you know, how to make those little boxes work. Meanwhile, it's drill baby bill, pump, bitch, pump. Uh, fossil fuelers uh, will do or say pretty much anything, anything to stop the coalition of movements wanting them out of the petroleum business including SRI and ESG investors. Uh, it was reported this week that in some seven states, for example, uh, recently got uh, the oils recently got legislators uh, to make it more or less illegal to protest oil and gas extraction activities. First Amendment, what? Now, if you don't think that isn't the result of the millions of quote-unquote well-spent funds by petroleum companies on lobbying efforts, Please think again, and please think about how you really want democracy to work. Meanwhile, down on the American Indian reservations, if you do manage to survive COVID to protest oil and gas companies messing with your traditional lands and livelihood, well, it's go to jail time. But I digress. Let's just say that they, the fossil fuelers, will not go gently into the night and that the battle against them will be long and hard, probably longer and harder than we could ever imagine. My goodness, the price of oil is already moving up and investors uh, looking to cash in, well, they will. The stock market, it figures pre-COVID business as usual is gonna return and it's bulking up to new coronavirus highs with the Dow Jones Industrial Average having gained back nearly 20% of the 35% it gave up uh, to COVID and reaching that low on March 23rd. Now, that was a striking drop, uh, the one to March 23rd, one of the biggest in history. But the rebound, the rebound is more amazing because in the context of over 35 million people unemployed in the U.S. alone and millions and millions of personal and business bankruptcies in the wind, the market is still going up. Apparently, Jeff Bezos of Amazon and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook are now $30 billion richer than before the pandemic. Well, that rots my socks. Well, the good news? Uh, we may be able to punch out fossil fuels lights 
without dimming our own pretty soon. The cost of solar is still falling fast. It beats dirty coal by a mile and is about the same price as natural gas. Uh, you can check that out in Wikipedia. Uh, see cost of electricity by source. Equally important are advances in electrical vehicles and growing dissatisfaction with car-filled noxious roads. Seems people like walking around and riding around on roads that aren't filled with cars. Uh, thanks to coronavirus. Anyways, Tesla and Volvo continue to make incredibly sexy uh, electric cars. Now, a lot of people who know me know I don't like cars in general for their effect on cities and social landscapes, but nonetheless, they're here to stay. And it's a great thing that GM, General Motors, just announced it's close to producing what they call the million mile car battery. Wow, that is fantastic. All very cool and important developments. Now in some even better news, one I like better anyways, bike and electric scooter sales are soaring. Indeed, electric scooters are selling at four times the rate of all other forms of personal transportation in key urban markets across the United States. Uh, wow, isn't that great? I see them zipping around Mexico City all the time. Fantastic, well, pre-COVID anyways. Uh, people find it easier, it would seem, to love carless streets than car-choked streets. So there is hope even on the, the car front there. Now, what is clear from the pandemic and resulting reduction in carbon, however, is that the economic influence of voluntary individual sustainability action, for example, voting, consuming and investing for sustainable reasons or uh, purposely for sustainability, aka uh, what we were doing prior to COVID to have a sustainable world, is not going to beat the climate clock. Governments made us stay home for a couple of months, and only then did carbon emissions globally reduce by an estimated 7%. Now, just so you know, that's just short of the 7.5% annual carbon reduction we need to reach the holy grail, or well, maybe not the so holy grail, but uh, the holy grail of 1.5 degrees hotter by uh, 2030, uh, only 1.5 degrees hotter. As much of a concern, and one that's not talked about as much, but increasingly so, is the equally dangerous biodiversity loss, which poses a distinct problem from climate change, although the two are obviously intertwined. Cutting down the Amazon, the Congo, the Indonesian and British Columbian forests, or saving the oceans from becoming an enormous sludgy plastic-filled garbage dump, is not as easily fixed as some of the energy challenges that we face because there's no relatively simple technical fix to overcome for overrunning habitats. We obliterate some five species a day while exposing ourselves to the nasties we're not supposed to be in contact with to devastating effect, or uh, like coronavirus. What much of the public and private sector continues to refuse to understand, even though I think we do understand, it, is that the only way to ensure our survival is to transform our economy to a regenerative economy, one which improves biodiversity, not encourage monodiversity. If we want to keep a capitalist model, that's going to mean moving the economy from 90% material-based to 90% service-based. Hmm, think about that. Only a vigorous and immediate reduction in the volume of natural resource assets we extract, trees, rocks, water, mineral, animals, etc., etc., or and exploit, or as some say, steal from nature's balance sheet, 
is gonna do. We need to reduce natural resources that we take out of nature by four times just to break even on asset withdrawal. Think about your home budget just for a moment. Uh, to repair the damage done, a reduction of five times is the only we hope we have to reverse this terrible exploitation and to regenerate nature before a complete and literal meltdown of the environment happens. About you, but this keeps me up at night. Now, some big businesses and small businesses do get the problem, yet most balk at the obvious solutions. Companies worth $2.4 trillion aligned with the We Mean Business Coalition, including Carlsberg Group, Electrolux, NL, Schneider Electric, are among 155 companies urging governments to align social economic recovery of the pandemic with climate science. Now, did you notice the government part in that statement and not the company part? Why not urge all companies? Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's not there. And the last time I checked, which was this morning, yes, these companies want change, but they want incremental change. That's like having their cake and wanting to eat it too kind of scenario. Transformational change means giving up or being so damn innovative and flexible you can profit the right way, the natural way. Failing that, companies are likely to fail on their own. Transformation will require, wait for it, wait for it, governments to legislate change and probably pay for a lot of it too. Now there are two things wrong here. One, government is beholden to business. We know that. If you think you truly live in a democracy and believe the government, AKA politicians, really care, well then why do all center left to far right governments basically ascribe to the incremental tapioca flavored approaches to sustainability if they ascribe to them at all? Try start talking uh, campaign finance reform to remove the influence of business and you're going to get your answer pretty quick. Now, I'll return to this theme sometime too, but even when a supposedly environmental friendly government like Justin Trudeau in Canada caves to the province of Alberta's uh, oil interests and actually buys a $4 billion pipeline from them, not to mothball it, which may be a tactic I could get behind, but to make it operational, uh, need I say more? A2, Justin. A2, Justin. Vote green. Uh, and two, uh, we know incremental change simply is not going to cut it. And for as much as we love the Unilovers, Patagonias, and Danones of this world for getting us much higher up in the sustainability standings, what they have done and influenced is nowhere near enough. I mean, one could argue that this is because uh, we've let them hold out the hope for voluntary and incremental change. I know I did for a long time. N not now, though. It's like Damien Cox says, you're only as good as you are in the standings. And the standings say carbon is increasing 5% a year. This year accepted, of course. And as an example of natural resource extraction crazy, deforestation of the Amazon is up 50% over the last few years. Uh, we're not moving up in the standings, we're moving down. Uh, why, you might ask reasonably? Given all the knowledge uh, we have about climate change and biodiversity loss, why aren't the governments doing something about it? I can think of many reasons, but four stand out. First, Many business owners and voters simply don't believe climate change is real or that it will actually affect them. 
And as long as there is enough of these type of people, the people that don't believe enough or refuse to admit that it's going to make a difference in everybody's life, including their own, the profit-take-all ethos is going to predominate. And let's not even talk about biodiversity or inequality. Now, the second, the second is assets. I mean, even if all business people were willing to make a more rapid transition to a regenerative economy, billions and billions of unsustainable business assets stand to lose immediate value. I mean, and a lot of value, complete value in some cases, if the transition to sustainable is on a natural timeline or one that's fast enough to regenerate the losses sustained to nature over the last 50 years or so. Lifelines like those provided by the government to business during the pandemic would be required to help make the transition to sustainable possible without complete civil unrest madness. And, and, and few see that really happening to the degree and duration likely required. Now third, it's the business lobby. Talked about that already. And this is related to both prior points. The status quo is more acceptable to those making profits now than to possibly making profits uh, after a transition to a regenerative economy. Uh, more, many simply cannot conceive of how they would make a living in the new economy, despite the fact energy alone would employ as many or more in all corners of the economy, from uh, building retrofitting to solar panel ins installation to new forms of farming, etc., etc., than many other kinds of uh, innovations and developments we can't even imagine these days. Now, a lot of people don't believe, and if, don't be and if you don't believe me that many don't believe, take tobacco. Tobacco is still around. It's still a highly profitable business, despite the known terrible that it does. Uh, the science of tobacco killing people isn't even contested, yet it's still allowed to be sold. We all know and accept it's bad, but do we ban it? No, but we put people in jail for smoking a little weed, which has dozens of demonstrable medicinal and chill society for the better effects. The general public is, however, coming around very slowly, very, very slowly, to the idea that fossil fuels is probably as bad as tobacco. It's a vibe, let me tell you. But the outcome, the outcome of that belief also seems to be heading the same direction. We're going to tolerate it being sold and its horrid impact, at least until the nasty black stuff is unprofitable. It, it would seem like coronavirus, like tobacco before it, and climate change now. Uh, it seems like many folks simply have to have a death in the family to believe it's not a hoax. Or bad enough, uh, or a bad enough thing to really change their behavior, our behavior, and not the micro behavior like staying home. The macro behavior is in stop screwing the environment. Now, fourth and finally, there is the jobs over environment canard. I've always wanted to say that word in my podcast. Canard, or is in false or baseless, usually derogatory story, report, or rumor. Well, it is just that in terms of jobs over the environment. It's a canard. It's a false dichotomy. One like tobacco and fossil fuels. It's demonstrably duckish, as in ducking the facts plainly before us. Jobs, they're going to be lost. Yes, they will. They will be lost. But as many or more will be created in a new economy, a new economy. Just not the kind a lot of conservative folks feel they are trained and fit for.
And for some reason, a lot of folks hold on to the belief manufacturing is coming back to the U.S. Well, it's not. If there ever was a canard, that is it. Sure, the transition to a regenerative economy will cause dislocation. That's, that's not a new observation, but the economy was changing anyways. For example, prior to COVID, there were seven to eight million jobs left unfilled in the United States alone due to lack of appropriate talent and skills. Meanwhile, people are complaining about not having jobs in manufacturing. Well, I have to say this, and I hate to say it, but those waiting for those kinds of blue-collar jobs to come back, the types their moms and dad had, and, and they might have had too as well for a little while, well, these jobs, they're not coming back. They're not coming home. They're not going to make America great again. And no amount of patriotism, hard work, or effort is going to change that fact. The jobs that are coming down the pike are just not like that. What's the saying in New Hampshire? Live free or die? Well, perhaps it might be better change quick or die. Figuratively speaking, of course. The world is changing and change sometimes hurts. We all know that. Dislocation and loss, it's part of it. It's what makes us better. We adapt to it. That's why I'm thinking these days that a guaranteed income makes a lot of sense. I've not been a big proponent of it in the past. I've always been a kind of a, yeah, bootstrap kind of guy. But I'm kind of thinking these days it's essential to the transformation to regenerative. It's critical to this for a bunch of reasons, but two stand out. First, it would ensure a dignified living income to all during the dislocation. I, the cost would be huge. Let's, let's admit that. It, it will cost a lot of money, but the savings will likely be huger. Studies bear this out, particularly some new ones out of a long-term experiment in Finland with a guaranteed income. And the right-wing snowflakes who think their ability to work hard makes them unique or special compared to liberal elites, well, you guys get this. Guaranteed incomes have not been found to diminish the motivation to work. What it seems to do, what it seems to do is give people the time to find or prepare for better than poverty wage work. If you figure busting your untrained ass just so you can work five minimum wage jobs makes you somehow more patriotic or superior or is good for all the folks in the country, it doesn't. That's just stupid. Second, from a transition to a regenerative economy perspective, a guaranteed income takes out something very important from the private sector's lobbying belt. It takes out their consistent use of the threat of unemployment or loss of employment or loss of jobs to justify incremental change at best or business as usual at worst. It's their own sort of Damocles. They hang it over your head without shame. They hang it over our heads without shame to maintain the very profitable five minimum wage job slavery economy. You can call it what you want. It's bondage. It's servitude. It's serfdom. And what for? Making life miserable for everybody, working too hard while destroying the very nature we need to survive at the same time? Also very stupid. I don't want to be a surf. You want to be a surf? I like to surf. I don't want to be one. But if you want to be one, okay. Don't condemn everyone else and entire economies to the same fate. Except the beauty of not working or working less over the beauty of simply acquiring more stuff and working your ass off. 
If you don't like the idea of a guaranteed income for the fantasy that it, it creates some kind of disequality or, or because you think others don't deserve it or because you think you're, it will make your neighbors less inclined to work stupidly like you, well, at least accept that it, it's a perfect way to make the transition to an economy where jobs will change. You'll be able to find a job that's better in a way that's not going to ruin the planet for all species and not just humans. Now, how likely is it that folks are going to accept guaranteed income? Will governments support it? Well, in some countries, there's great talk of hashtag build back better uh, link, by linking pandemic recovery fiscal incentives to green outcomes or to a green recovery. Is it going to happen? Well, the evidence not really positive at this point. Less than 10% of all COVID uh, financial provisions have build back better conditions attached or green conditions attached to the businesses that are receiving the money. And by green, it generally just means less carbon and not very much to do with biodiversity, which we've established is also a pressing and critical crisis. Now, given the prevailing profit-first ethos, particularly in the United States, governments just don't seem to have the capacity, the political capital, or the political will to influence real change. And it's not like Green New Deal plans don't abound. Uh, in the U.S., it's even worse than one can imagine, uh, worse than in other countries. Take Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and many other GOP representatives, they don't even want to extend unemployment benefits set to run out for over 35 million people in late July. Why? Because they feel it will make Americans lazy. And it will make them not want to leave home to go look for a job. A job? What job? Well, the final word, well, the forces of all good, of all things sustainable, have generated some great outcomes. That, that cannot be denied. SRI and ESG has helped to advance many critical social and environmental issues in collaboration with other like-minded organizations and folks. The COVID shutdown, well, it's proven beyond doubt that climate change is human-made and reversible if subject to a great coordinated effort like a billion or two people staying home for a few months but like tobacco before it folks tend only to get serious about true change when they experience direct personal loss this is tragic it's horrible but it's true so like helping folks out in in this pandemic transitioning to a regenerative economy will take Enormous resources, resources that predominating economic ethos is fighting hard against. Can the radical change we need happen soon enough? Well, to continue my sports analogy, we're not well positioned to win. Not yet. Hell, we're not even in playoff position as it stands. Not even by a long shot. Worse, the season is quickly, quickly coming to a close. Uh, something like a guaranteed income, well, that would help with the necessary dislocation caused by a transition to a regenerative economy, as would subsidies to millions of businesses, and to underwrite promising, promising innovations in energy and car technology and agriculture, all of which could possibly get us to 1.5 degrees by 2030. Biodiversity, well, that's another question for another day. Short of a design strategy to get us to regenerative, we only have two choices. 
force change or allow the world to slide into disaster. Again, and I'm sorry, that's not new news. Well, 10 years ago, I named my first book The Sustainable Century by Design or Disaster. It was not a great book. I don't even think it was a good book. I had way too much faith in markets, consumers, and companies to first realize change was needed and then to make it happen. But so far, it's business as usual five, sustainability one. And the worst part, we know the solutions. We just don't have the mm, to enact them. Well, that's it for this week in sustainability. If you've not signed up for our weekly content updates, you can do it at thesustainablecentury.net. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment, hit like, or better yet, pass the article, pod, or video along. If you haven't already checked out our new video by uh, producer Mateos uh, de Souza Shields on why you should garden and not just in times of the coronavirus, you really should. You can check that out at uh, thesustainablecentury.net. And also check out our upcoming series, Leading Transformation, uh, featuring salon discussions of young sustainability leaders and doers. For more information, again, check out thesustainablecentury.net. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's up to you, it's up to us to make this a happier, healthier, more sustainable world.